I think it's fair to say this is not your typical election. Have you always told the truth? I've always tried to. Hillary Clinton is a bigot. These are racist ideas, race-baiting ideas, anti-Muslim, anti-immigrant, anti-women. Hillary Clinton and her campaign of 2008 started the birther controversy. I finished it. When you're running for president, I think you have an obligation to be healthy. <coughs> Every time I think about Trump, I get allergic. I have a winning temperament. I know how to win. She does not have Secretary to win. Wait. Secretary Clinton. Woo! Okay. From the New York Times, this is The Run-Up. I'm Michael Barbaro. It is 1.30 a.m. in the newsroom. The print deadlines have passed. Most of my colleagues have gone home for the night. And the verdicts about this first presidential debate are literally rolling off the presses. Who prevailed in this titanic clash of personalities, Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton? Who is full of regret this morning? And just how loose were these candidates with the truth? I'm here with two of my most seasoned colleagues to hash it all out. And given the hour and the 24-hour day we've already had, beverages are also on the table. With me in the studio this morning is Mark Leibovich. He's the chief national correspondent for the New York Times Magazine. He heroically drove in to the New York Times building from Hofstra University on Long Island. Amazing. And Carolyn Ryan, she is the senior editor for politics at the New York Times. She has been up for basically 24 hours editing all of our coverage of this debate. Carolyn, Mark, thank you for being here. Good morning, Michael. Great to be here, Michael. Am I the only one who felt that there were two different debates happening tonight? There was debate one, kind of the first half, where Donald Trump looked kind of presidential for the first time. And this kind of second debate where he really didn't look as presidential. What do you think? I would say... I would probably cut it into fourths. I think he had a pretty good, solid start. I think he kind of nailed the first kind of economic and sort of how to bring jobs back to the country questions. We have to stop our jobs from being stolen from us. We have to stop our companies from leaving the United States and with it firing all of their people. All you have to do is take a look at carrier air conditioning in uh, Indianapolis. They left, fired 1,400 people. They're going to Mexico. I think he kind of fizzled from there. I think I also think that in the beginning he was almost too hot. He seemed pretty interrupty um, early on. It was like he was kind of amped, but he was also it worked for him. Um, but then something happened, and I think Hillary Clinton I think went on the offensive. Um, I think the questions started getting harder for him. Um, I think you know Lester. I think the combination of the tax returns question, eventually the birther question, and I think there was a temperament question at some point. He, he seemed to, he seemed kind of discombobulated over that, and I think sort of the offensive was sort of picked up by by Hillary. At the I mean, for a guy who is sort of obsessed with tagging people uh, for lacking stamina, it seems like it's actually a quality and endurance that he does doesn't possess himself, and you sort of see short bursts of crispness. I thought he was a NAFTA, quite good, quite strong, but it wasn't sustained. And I do think that Hillary kind of took control about a third of the way in. But she was really almost struggling in the first maybe 15 or 20 minutes, wouldn't you say? 
or am I overstating that? Um, I don't know if she was struggling. I think that they had set out um, basically to frame this very quickly as, you know, we're quite different. He's not fit to be president. And I feel like his forcefulness initially kind of threw her onto the defensive. But I don't think I think she pretty quickly regained her footing. And especially as it got into the details of policy, it seemed like her confidence increased in her sort of sense of uh, how she wanted to prosecute the case against him became more apparent. Yeah, I do think you did sense her confidence building a little bit as the really as the first hour went on. Um, I don't think she nailed all of her sort of not lines, but I I think I've seen her crisper. I think that I don't think she was at her best, but I also think she was uh, good enough. And I also I mean, I, I do think that there were moments where she I think probably she seemed to be not stuttering, but just sort of grasping for words more than she typically does. It wasn't like sort of like the, I mean, it wasn't the sharpest I've, I've seen her, but I, I think that ultimately he seemed fairly flustered either way. If you had to guess, what were the words of advice that were ringing in her ear through some of those really tense exchanges where she seemed to sort of hold back a little bit and he was coming in at her? What was the guiding thing that we imagine from debate prep was was making her the debater she was in those moments? I mean, I think part of it was, uh, again, to frame him as unfit. I think part of it was to undermine him and maybe to rattle him a little bit, but gently so she didn't come across as sort of uh, overly aggressive or sort of contentious. Um, but I, I guess I keep coming back to one um, moment in particular when she talked about his taxes, and that seemed to me pretty powerful and pretty... Um, unanswered by him. So you've got to ask yourself, why won't he release his tax returns? And I think there may be a couple of reasons. First, maybe he's not as rich as he says he is. Second, maybe he's not as charitable as he claims to be. Third, we don't know all of his business dealings, but we have been told through investigative reporting that He owes about $650 million to Wall Street and foreign banks. Or maybe he doesn't want the American people, all of you watching tonight, to know that he's paid nothing in federal taxes because the only years— I also actually let the birther thing, too. I mean, I think the birther thing he dissembled on, he didn't—I mean, I don't think he did any better than he did last week when he refused to answer it. I think her best moment was when she actually pivoted from that and just actually gave a nice explanation or a very effective explanation on why it's so offensive, especially to a lot of African-Americans, that he would choose to go on this crusade for four or five years against our first African-American president. And she gave, I thought, you know, a very, very sharp speech. There. That's exactly right. And, and it's not an abstract fact-checking issue. It is a personal issue to a lot of people. You're talking about the first black president. You're talking about it in effort that sort of delegitimizes him. And that's like a pretty profound thing. And she was able to make it a deeper moment. But remember, Donald started his career back in 1973 being sued by the Justice Department for racial discrimination because he would not rent apartments in one of his developments to African-Americans, and he made sure that the people who worked for him understood that was the policy. He actually was sued twice by the Justice Department. So he has a long record of engaging in racist behavior. (laughs) And the birther lie 
was a very hurtful one. What was up with all of these interruptions from Donald Trump? Some of them were meant to be kind of coy and clever. He did it all night. I have a feeling that by the end of this evening, I'm going to be blamed for everything that's ever happened. Why not? Why not? Yeah, why not? Jo- you know, just, just, just join, uh, join the debate by uh, saying more crazy things. Now, let me it, say hey, There's nothing crazy about not letting our companies case. bring their money it, back into okay, their this country. Is, this is uh, Secretary Clinton's two minutes, yes. please. I thought he, he seemed really, really pissed. I mean, he, he seemed easy to fluster and, you know, he, I mean, he doesn't take criticism well, especially to his face. And he couldn't sort of let it go. And I think he didn't seem at all concerned about people watching him as someone who would interrupt her. I think if you were to like sort of ask what she was remembering for deba- from debate prep, and this is very superficial, but she tried to smile as much throughout. I mean, she clearly didn't want to be seen as combative, as defensive. Um, I, I think she was able to, the, the smile I think was effective for her because it allowed her not to appear smug, but also not to appear, I mean, it was both unsmug and unwounded at the same time. I think, I mean, just to jump in on that, the, the what is most revealing to me, given how far we've come in this campaign, is that Donald Trump, despite all his success, despite all his support, still seems so wounded and to um, remember these slights and to talk about who wasn't nice to him on a presidential stage. This is the big moment, and he's sort of fighting back about Rosie O'Donnell being not nice. It's small. Oh, my God. And and, and just like his (laughs) reflexes, he cannot stop talking about who was mean to him. And it feels like um, at this point in the campaign, you would expect a certain measured restraint about that and kind of uh, you'd expect a candidate to be bigger than that. And I will tell you this, Lester, it's not nice and I I, I don't deserve that. But it's certainly not a nice thing that she's done. Just one other point on Hillary, which I I think Mark is right about the smile. The one thing I found um, mysteriously lacking or or just puzzling to me, it did feel to me, despite a pretty good night, I was kind of waiting for the more human moment. And maybe she felt like it was such a contentious setting that she couldn't really connect, but it felt like she was doing so many things right. Was there a moment where she could show some vulnerability, show some kind of emotional connection with the audience. And maybe that's asking too much as the stuff is sort of flying and you're being interrupted. But that's what I was kind of looking for tonight. I think she thought she came closest by admitting error in her handling of the emails. And that was But remember, we've heard that before. Well, you stole my question, which I will direct at Mark, which is... I'm a thief. You're you're being punished. I get the question. (laughs) She had the mission of not just diminishing him, but creating an authentic connection that every focus group shows is missing between her and these undecided voters. By, by making it not just a recitation of policy, but by finding a way to literally reach into their hearts and say, everything I stand for connects to you this way. Yeah, I don't feel like she made that. I don't think this was the kind of debate in which that could be achieved by, by either person. I, I do think the email answer, I don't think it was humanizing necessarily, but it was effective because it was quick. You know... I made a mistake using a private email. That's for sure. Um, And if I had to do it over again, I would obviously do it differently. Um, But I'm not going to make any excuses. It was a mistake, and I take responsibility for that. You know, it was quick. It got in and out. You didn't give Trump any openings to sort of go on an extended 
riff on, on email, which I thought he was going to do. But I, I just think that given what the what the environment was like, she sort of did the best she could. Yeah, that, no, that's a very good point. I mean, the, the, the times she came closest, in my view, were she would show empathy in a way that he didn't, right? I mean, she would talk about, um, you know, the woman she talked about at the end, or she would talk about uh, people who are needy, and it felt like her heart was sort of into it, but still it didn't feel like personal revelation. Right, and also the hypothetical, if my dad were in business and was doing a deal with Donald Trump and he stiffed him. I mean, it's all it's several steps hypothetical, but actually I think it's somewhat effective. Maybe disingenuous, because I don't think her dad would. I mean, it just seems a little apple. You're saying her dad wouldn't have done drapes for Trump? I don't think so. That's a serious you know what? charge, he, Mark. You know what? If I'm done, I'm, when I'm not, I don't want to disparage the quality of his work, but I wonder if Donald Trump would have paid for his services. I want to go deep on the area of race. It produced a really spectacular and very complicated exchange. When when Lester Holt pressed both Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump on police tactics, stop and frisk, and race. From what you guys recall, kind of how did that play out and why does it matter? Well, I mean, I thought... I thought Hillary Clinton was going to go earlier to actually just do the words like bigot and racism and just sort of go right after Trump. I mean, I was actually surprised she took as much time as she did. And I think it's probably good that she did on police tactics and actually because it's not it's a dicey issue with swing voters. I mean, I think um, Trump seems to have made I don't know if he's made inroads, but I mean, polling shows that anything that is seen as disparaging of police officers can alienate a lot of swing voters. So I, I thought that it was, I was surprised, but also I thought it was effective for her to spend a lot of time on that. But, you know, eventually, I mean, they, if they can, I mean, using, I think eventually she used words like racist um, around the birther issue. But I thought that she was going to hit him harder on sort of the racially divisive language. I mean, I thought she was interesting when she talked about Trump's broad brush descriptions of the African-American community as just being a mess and being murdered everywhere. I mean, that's not the experience of most Americans. It's, it's really unfortunate that he paints such a dire negative picture of black communities in our country. Ugh. You know, the vibrancy I thought, of the black you know, church, I thought that was a good uh, opportunity for her that she took. I mean, it's an amazing uh, presidential debate between two nominees when you have one accusing the other of a racist lie. And that felt like a very potent charge that I think you're right that she kind of built to it, uh, but a very powerful statement. And I do think that he was thrown a little bit in terms of really trying to rebut those assertions. But I would argue that produced one of her biggest misses of the night. And that's when Donald Trump said to her, you know, I need to remind you, Secretary Clinton, that you called young African-American men super predators and she just whiffed. I do want to bring up the fact that you were the one that brought up the word super predator about young black youth. And that's a term that I think was a, uh, it's, hor it's been horribly met, as you know. I think you've apologized for it. But uh, I think it was a terrible thing to say. She did not answer that critique. She tried to change the subject. And it's a, it's a pretty remarkable thing in that environment to let a charge like that it wasn't a charge it was factual go unanswered for and i thought also that was they, this is a charge as you know that a lot of young african-americans it has a lot of resonance you know you saw the interruption of when bill clinton was speaking and a lot of black lives matter that this is something that they 
that really and it, it seems to be sticking around if you look at the, her numbers among young African American males. Some of those policies, and it does seem like she was uncomfortable really yeah. responding. It was interesting the dynamic when her husband's legacy came up in a couple of different ways. Sometimes she seemed very embracing. Sometimes she seemed kind of defensive about it. On the NAFTA thing, she didn't really seem to know how to respond. Mark, you were you were out at Hofstra. I wondered what you saw that we here in the newsroom and our listeners in their own mini newsrooms missed. Well, I mean, there there was, I, I was sensing, I was talking to a lot of people there who sort of saw this also, there's a sense of shell shock in the whole hall as if like, what was that? What did we just see? And part of it is like, you know, I was sitting in the media center and, and everyone probably doesn't trust their instincts entirely because we've been wrong about so many things, so many steps of the way here. So, I mean, can you really like trust your instincts on who did well and who didn't well, do well here? But um, what was interesting was Trump came into the spin room afterwards, which candidates typically don't do, especially in a general election. Trump came into the spin room pretty much after every primary debate. Uh, but it was as if he he just could not resist, you know, thousands of media people in one room. He had to go, like, basically literally did a parade kind of thing where he kind of led this scrum of, like, you know, hundreds of reporters, like, across a room and sort of ended the parade in, like, this bullfighting ring at the end of the spin room, which he was sort of doing. And he was, like, taking shouted questions and ignoring other ones. And it was an odd beauty pageant kind of thing where he had his family with him and he was waving and he said I did great and he said you know all the online polls have me winning big you know I mean this was like literally within five minutes of him leaving well it's like with the audience forbidden to applaud or jeer him right something elemental was missing for him from the night right he I well I thought like if you looked at just his body language coming off the stage he didn't look happy he did not look happy and and at times during the debate he seemed to be almost searching for a crowd reaction and yes. not getting one. And that also, it feels like a very reinforcing kind of tonic yes. for him usually. And absent that, he seemed a little bit lost. Yeah, I want to talk about exaggerations, distortions, and outright lies. It sounds like the name of a new play opening on Broadway. But how bad was the situation with the truth tonight? Well, um, as you know, we had 18 uh, fact-checkers on duty, some of our most seasoned reporters, and they were constantly, relentlessly at work. Uh, The interesting thing to me um, is that a lot of these claims have been made previously in the campaign. We've made clear that they're false, and that doesn't seem to deter the candidate, in this case, mainly Mr. Trump, from making them again. So uh, this is like a major pattern, and yet there's a disconnect with the voters, I guess, in terms of whether this really matters. Right. We obviously need to do a better job getting like New York Times and like this, these fact-checking things to Trump Tower so we can read them and, and correct his ways. Um, I, you know, one thing actually on sort of in this, on the, on this topic, I mean, Trump kept com- repeatedly re- complaining about Hillary Clinton's ads saying, you're, you've been making nasty ads about me and they're like $200 million and it's like, they're all lies and, and like, like, it would be not, I, if I were Hillary Clinton, I would have said, name one. I mean, it's all him on video. I mean, this is not like, I mean, it's not like there's not a paper trail or a video trail of like any of this stuff. I mean, even like the Howard Stern um, Iraq interview from 2002 or three, whenever it was, I mean, that's out there. It's his own words. It's his own words. I'd like for each of you to tell me what one moment from this debate is really going to stick with you. I found a memorable and extraordinary um, when the charge came up that Trump hadn't paid taxes 
perhaps hadn't paid federal taxes for years, that he claimed that he was smart. When he was trying to get a casino license, and they showed he didn't pay any federal income tax. So that makes if me he's smart. paid zero, that did means zero. That he bragged, bragged about it. it. And I just think a lot about wage earners, people who rely on a paycheck and who don't have sophisticated strategies to avoid taxes and how that's going to play with people who see a bite out of their paychecks all the time and are kind of watching what almost felt like a gleeful boast about avoiding paying the government. Um, this is actually a bit of a quirky moment, but it was the initial meeting on the stage between the two of them where you could hear Hillary Clinton on the, over the mic say, good to see you, Donald. Uh, I think those were the exact words. Good to see you, Donald. And it was, I don't know what, it, I mean, it said to me like, oh my God, these two people are finally meeting. I mean, these two people who have just portrayed each other as the absolute greatest menaces to society, murderers, um, you know, fraudulent, you know, criminals, someone who should be in jail. And then, good to see you, Donald. And it was just sort of an odd, random, you know, and you know they both thought about the encounter and what the appropriate thing to say I spoke be. to some strategists who wondered if having portrayed him in such extraordinarily negative ways, she might withhold that handshake. It didn't happen. Yeah, I think that itself would have created a spectacle, and, and it would have just – she would have had to have answered for it. I mean, I think it would have caused more – I mean, I think given her druthers, she probably wouldn't want to shake his hand, and he probably wouldn't want to shake hers, especially since she's getting over pneumonia, and he's, you know, very phobic about those things. Um, there was a real risk, I mean, of seeming ungracious, I think. Though I did really pick up on the Donald thing. I, I was counting there were five Donalds, like, within the first – kind of phase of the debate and it felt like there was a deliberate kind of diminishment that was going on. So we've got to talk about the way gender was handled in this debate. Donald Trump seemed to really struggle with it. This is a man who has called women pigs, slobs, and dogs. And someone who has said pregnancy is an inconvenience to employers. Well, I, I would say that Hillary, women don't I mean, every time Hillary can recite offensive things that Donald Trump has said, about women, it's a win for her because it's reminding people that he's called women pigs and you know, whatever else he is. Uh, there's also, I mean, one of the things these debates do is it, it's an opportunity for her to mention just his greatest hits because pe most people just don't know them. And, you know, some of his greatest hits are, you know, what, what you know, what he said about women and, you know, this, the, the beauty pageant things. And so I thought that was effective. It seemed to me that his lack of, um, experience and preparation really came through um, in the when she was sort of pressing him about what he had said about women and these sort of denigrating things like to then sort of curiously and oddly go to Rosie O'Donnell oh. it felt like such a narrow and kind of odd uh, response somebody who's been very vicious to me Rosie O'Donnell I said very tough things to her and I think everybody would agree that she deserves it and nobody feels sorry for her all right last question New York Times reporters and editors generally don't like this kind of a question. But Carolyn Ryan, who won this debate? Well, as you know, we have a feature uh, called Who Won? And um, we? we surveyed the kind of commentariat, and it seems like Hillary Clinton came out ahead, uh, that people felt like she narrowly edged him out, that he initially seemed to be kind of uh, on equal footing with her, which was a, an accomplishment in and of itself, but she ultimately, both on points and style, Mark won the debate. Um, I think 
Hillary Clinton won. I think she did better. I don't think she was at her best, but I think that that Trump um, did what he needed to do for about a half hour, but it was a 90-minute game. And, um, you know, I think that there were a lot of problems that he's going to have coming out of here. Carolyn, Mark, it is 2 a.m., and it is time to say goodbye and thank you again. Cheers. 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 Thanks, Michael. Clink. clink. We got a clink. Get yeah, this clink. Lovely. Drink up. Really great. We know how high the stakes were for Hillary Clinton and for Donald Trump, but they were also high for a guy you didn't see a whole lot of tonight, the moderator. In a way, Lester Holt of NBC News was a proxy for the state of debate moderation itself. Here with me to talk about that is my colleague Michael Grimbaum. He's a media reporter at The Times. Michael, thank you so much for being here. Good morning, Michael. You're the second person to point out to our listeners just how late we're up. Michael, Lester Holt moderated this debate amidst a really extraordinary kind of national fight over what the role of a debate moderator is supposed to be. And he did virtually nothing to resolve it. Or did he? I think that's absolutely right. Uh, I called him the minimalist moderator in my uh, piece about this. It seemed like he kind of receded into the background, literally off screen throughout the entire encounter. And Although there were moments where Lester seemed to press the candidates, and he did jump in for a couple of fact checks here and there, for the most part, it seemed like he wanted to kind of take himself out of the room and let the candidates kind of go at one another and, and question one another and, and kind of allow them to take up some of the role that the moderator might otherwise traditionally play. It's really tempting to think of Lester Holt's approach as a direct reaction to all of the incredible negative feedback and scrutiny that Matt Lauer got when he moderated a national security forum featuring Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump just a couple of weeks ago. You know, (laughs) I think that this was, for him, the safest approach, and I think you can't ignore the pressure he was under in light of Matt Lauer, and frankly, that NBC was under. We had Trump on Jimmy Fallon a few days ago, We had the CNBC debate back in the fall that was, you know, a bit of a fiasco. I think that Lester and the whole network were feeling a lot of pressure on Monday night. And I think what Lester did, and some will say he succeeded, was by allowing the candidates to kind of give them rope to air their views, to give people an unfiltered, unvarnished look at how they react under pressure. You could argue that Holt played the right role of a moderator. But in terms of the question of fact-checking and, you know, how aggressive a presence a moderator should be in a debate, I don't think we saw any resolution to that today. How much did he actually fact-check? There were a couple of times. And I think the big moment was, was Donald Trump going to try yet again to claim that he opposed the Iraq war from the start, which is the falsehood that he said and Matt Lauer let slip by, creating this entire conflagration about, uh, you know, moderators. Uh, Trump brought it up again. Lester Holt said the record showed the you know the the record shows otherwise. He really challenged him on that. The other issue that came up was Trump's tax returns, where Trump brought up the excuse of the audit that I'm under audit. You know, it's been going on for years. I can't put these out. And Holt pretty bluntly said to him, "Well, the IRS has said that's no excuse. You know, we we don't mind if you put out these these documents." And it did, I must say, give Hillary a pretty big opening to to slam him on the records. If there's a course correction to be made from what Lester Holt did or didn't accomplish, what would you guess it would look like? I, I think getting 
bulldozed, for lack of a better term, by these candidates. There were a lot of moments where Holt tried... These are supposed to be two-minute answers. He tries to get them to wrap up or move on to the next question. Trump, many times, would speak right over him. And, you know, I have to say, Clinton kind of saw what was going on and just started doing it herself. You know, she saw that Trump was getting away with it. Why not her? And there was a point early on where it felt like things were going a little off the rails, that there just wasn't enough direction from the moderator, which I think is fundamentally the most important part is to just keep a civil discussion going. I think that moderators need to be a little more aggressive in the next debates on that front. Michael, thank you so much for being here this morning. I Michael, appreciate it. It was an absolute pleasure. That's it for The Run-Up. I'm Michael Barbaro. I'll see you back here on Friday.